stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Okay, it's no surprise to anybody that issues around Alberta's energy sector are going to be and are front and center in this election campaign. Why the sector has not fully recovered uh, from, from the downturn, why we haven't been able to get pipelines built, whether we need to encourage more diversification in the economy or even within the oil and gas sector. There was another announcement to, to that end today from Rachel Notley, which she calls a promise to supercharge investment in petroleum upgrading in Alberta. Saying basically what we've done already, we are going to double it. From $3.6 billion to $7 billion over 10 years. In so doing this, we will attract at least $75 billion in global value-added petroleum and natural gas private sector investment focused on upgrading our resources right here in Alberta. All right, so that today, obviously, there's been a lot of pipeline uh, talk as well. Yesterday, Jason Kenney uh, driving the point home that Rachel Notley has failed to deliver on this issue, that her alliance with Trudeau has failed to deliver on this issue, and talking about how he believes he could get pipelines built. Was the NDP have countered with, well, you were part of the Harper government. They didn't get pipelines built. So as I said at the outset, you know, politicians say a lot of things. Sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're false. More often than not, they're a combination of the two or somewhere in between. So I want to try to sort through some of the clutter around the diversification debate and the pipeline debate. Joining us uh, for more uh, to that end, very pleased to welcome the program, Andrew Leach, uh, Associate Professor of Energy and Environmental Economics, University of Alberta. Professor Leach, great to have you with us here. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. Uh, let's talk about diversification, first of all. And I guess, I mean, the, the premise that uh, by producing more petrochemical products or partial upgrading in Alberta, uh, that given what we're dealing with right now, that more of that is, is advisable. I mean, in general terms, what do you make of that? Well, I think the what we're seeing is Alberta being attractive to those types of industries for the very reason that it's been challenged on the upstream side, right? Gas Gas prices are low. Uh, oil prices are low, bitumen prices are low here in Alberta, partly because of tran- or mostly because of transportation issues, and so it makes it attractive to use them, to process them, to create those, those other products. And then, of course, the government has uh, created some other incentives by pushing royalty credits or loan guarantees or other incentives uh, towards the businesses who would do this. Mm-hmm. How much then do we need as as a province to? to encourage that or subsidize that? Yeah, the, the typical, I guess, economist answer would be what, what market or question would be what market failure are you solving? So what is it that the government takes into account that the private sector wouldn't take into account that means that, you know, the government should fund this investment and make sure it's true? And the best argument that I've seen for that is, is the one on the, the oil processing side or the partial upgrading side, which is, you know, a private company is going to take account of can I make money on this particular venture? They're not going to take account of if, you know, I come in, I build this project, it frees up some pipeline capacity, and therefore all of Alberta's oil becomes slightly more valuable. There's more royalties, there's more profits, there's all of those sorts of things. They're not going to take in those added sort of external benefits to their their actions. So 
the Calgary School of Public Policy had a paper that made that case in, in favor of some help for, for partial upgrading in the same way as the government might get engaged in thinking about uh, some subscription on new pipelines or these types of things. Yeah. On, on the gas processing side, you know, I think the same argument is there to some degree, but not as convincingly to me as, as it is on the partial upgrading of Bitchman. What what needs to be the case then for this, or or the argument behind it? Is it is it a job creation strategy, or what is it that we're trying to address? Yeah, I, th- I think part of it is well, job creation or diversification in the sense that that you'd end up with businesses that are more like manufacturing businesses and less maybe cyclical than a typical conventional oil and gas drilling base. But I think it's important to remember that at least for our oil sands, it already looks a lot like manufacturing, right? It's not that the production of oil sands is not cyclical in the same way that conventional oil and gas drilling has been, where where we've seen the cycles is in new oil, no new oil sands plant construction. And, and to some degree, what we had in 2000, in the 2000s was an oil sands project construction boom in addition to an oil, you know, royalties and, and all of these and sorry, benefits of production boom. And so I think what you're seeing is these projects come in and, and take up some of that slack in the economy. So certainly people in those sectors benefit. But what I've always tried to push is, you know, remember that however you pay for it, whether you pay for it in discounted bitumen or loan guarantees or direct subsidies, this is money you you, you have to collect in additional taxes or that you could spend elsewhere or it's additional debt. So it's not free. Right. benefits some people, but it has those costs on, on the other side as well. But if we're, we're talking about partial upgrading as an example, do, does that really represent diversification? I mean, how are we, how are we defining that term? And, and is it, a, is it a, an objective in and of itself? Yeah. So, so, I mean, the diversification definition in the, in the economy, sort of what it means and, and how you would pin it down, there are a variety of definitions. But I think really what we're getting at is, are we more or less susceptible to a change in the oil price? And so, you know, there's very little that the government can do that's going to counter the types of outflows of investment we've seen since the oil price collapsed in 2014. There just isn't enough you know, nobody's multiplier estimate, no matter how crazy, will will tell you the government can do that. Uh, but I think what they're what you're looking for is to to some degree that set of industries that are less less cyclical and less tied to directly to the price of oil, or in Alberta's case, to the to the price of bitumen. So partial upgrading gets you a little bit of that, but really, as I said, where where that. I think you can make an argument. I'm not saying I'd get all the way to any level of funding for any upgrader, for sure. But you can make a case that there's some of the benefits of that that would not be taken into account by the project. They're not something the project proponents can monetize or a private business can monetize, but they have real value to other producers in Alberta and to the government and resource owners, the people of Alberta. And so maybe there's a role there for the government to play if it's not too expensive for them to do that. Uh, on the pipeline issue, is interesting. You tweeted out a, a graph today looking at um, crude imports in, in the U.S., Canadian crude imports, which have yeah. been rising, even rising over the last four or five years. Obviously, we, we are facing a, a capacity crunch with regard to pipelines and inability to get major projects moving forward. A lot of finger pointing as to why that is. But what, what's getting overlooked in this conversation? 
I think there's a couple of things. I think one is that, you know, you mentioned the, the soundbite earlier about the Harbor government not getting any pipelines built, which is completely false. Uh, there were two big pipelines to the U.S., the base Keystone Pipeline and Enbridge's Clipper Line 67. And then there was some uh, expansion work and reversals done as well on, on other systems. And then it also misses how much change happened in the U.S. pipeline system that we connect to that enabled our barrels to get from the Great Lakes area or from Cushing all the way to the Gulf Coast. So one of the things that was neat in that graph, or, or the reason I put it out, was to say, you know, we keep hearing this story that we're still not getting barrels to Tidewater, but we are actually getting more barrels to Tidewater. And there are some other projects other than Trans Mountain Expansion or, or Keystone XL even that are, you know, smaller, lower profile reversals, changes, small expansions that would get us more barrels. And, and we've been doing that all the way through since probably 2010, those types of projects. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to see the point about the, the Gulf Coast that maybe there's kind of a, an assumption here that that's, that's shut out to us at the moment because of uh, Keystone XL's problems. But obviously we're, we're finding other ways of getting it there. Yeah, I mean, we still, so this isn't to downplay the fact that we, we obviously have a significant capacity constraint. So our production has grown faster than our export capacity and certainly significantly faster than our, than our pipeline capacity. And so we do have that, uh, that pipeline capacity constraint. And, and where the two actually link is, you know, a lot of our pipeline capacity right now is taken up either shipping diluent in the bitumen, so diluting the bitumen, or bringing diluent back up from the United States to, to dilute our bitumen. We have two cross-border pipelines that are devoted to bringing diluent into Alberta. And so, you know, we talked about the partial upgrading bit earlier, right? The advantage of that would be you spend a little bit of money to convert your bitumen barrel to something which can move without or with less diluent. It means that you're not moving that diluent out, but it also means you're not moving it in. And so uh, there have been talk of reversing one of the pipelines that currently carries diluent to allow us to ship out more crude. It's obviously a challenge to to build this kind of infrastructure. I don't think anybody denies that. In politics, this can maybe get oversimplified to say so-and-so is to blame or I, I could succeed where where so-and-so hasn't. Uh, I mean, yeah. is, is is there any truth in any of that, that, that we can point to specific failures on, on getting these projects built? Well, you know, I think we can absolutely point to specific failures. I'm just not sure that the solutions that we've seen put forward uh, are really solutions to those those problems that we've had. So the issues that both Trans Mountain and Northern Gateway ran into were First Nations consultations. The duty to consult and accommodate is a legal interpretation of a section of our constitution which isn't going anywhere. And so no matter how much you stomp or yell and scream or what have you, that's still something that, that we need to, to deal with in getting any infrastructure built, in particular pipelines. And so, you know, to me, that the suggestion that there's a magic wand that the federal government could have waived to build, whether it be Trans Mountain or Gateway, that just doesn't stand up. And the idea that you know, what we haven't been doing is fighting hard enough against the environmentalists. I don't think that that stands up either. You know, we have seen support build nationally for pipelines and for Trans Mountain in particular through the last three or four years. And and we've seen significant actions by the federal government to try to push that pipeline and, and others through. So I, you know, I don't know that that holds up. And, you know, the, the, 
fallback for me is always, you know, if there was a magic wand that could get a pipeline built more quickly, do we really think that Gateway would have sat on Prime Minister, uh, in the approvals process under the Harper government for like 2,000 days? Yeah. And, you know, I don't think we do. I think it's pretty clear we expect there would have been a, that magic wand would have been waived. And it wasn't because it's a very challenging thing uh, to get a pipeline built. And, you know, see that in the U.S. as well. It's a challenging thing to get pipelines built or uh, or under construction. Important points. Uh, Andrew Leach, always appreciate the insight. Thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Thanks so much, Rob. Always a pleasure. All right. Take care. Andrew Leach, uh, professor at the University of Alberta, professor of uh, energy and environmental economics. So his thoughts on some of the debate around issues of pipelines, diversification, et cetera. I think you make some important points. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.